It's good to see everybody. We're going to continue our series on the life of Abraham here in just a second. Um, but I didn't do this earlier, so I want to do that uh, to introduce myself. Um, and so I know we've got several guests who are here. So if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Bill. And it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. So if I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, um, would love to meet you on the way out. Just introduce myself to you. If you have questions about the church or anything like that, would love to, to be able to answer those. And so after the service, I'll make my way out to the lobby. And so you can just just grab me on your way out. If you'd be willing to do that, we would. Um, I would greatly appreciate it. And one of the things that we want to do for our new folks is to connect with you. Um, we don't want to, it's going to sound weird, we don't want to leave you alone. And part of that is our goal is to see everyone who's a part of our church, to see their faith come alive. And we recognize that you know, it can be beneficial to come in and out of a service sometimes, but like we need more than that at some point. We need to be in community with other people, and so we want to get to know you and connect with you. And so if you are here for the very first time, the easiest way to do that is to text the word WELCOME to 817-755-1668, um, and you'll receive a link uh, to a digital our digital connection card. If you're watching online and you're there for the very first time, in the comments of our um, live event, you can just say, hey, I'm new here, and then we'll give you the same link, uh, link as well. Um, but we just want to connect with you, find out how we can serve you. We're not going to do anything weird um, or anything like that. We're, we're relatively normal, um, I think, most of the time. Um, I appreciate several folks this morning mentioning the game last week, um, doing okay. But I do have a very serious um, prayer request uh, today, though, um, because I am a Cincinnati Bengals fan. But more than that, I am a Cincinnati Reds fan. And I would ask that you pray specifically for the players' union and the owners to change their hearts um, and come together. So if you could do that so we'd start the season on time, that would be really good. Steve, you liked that one, didn't you? It's good. Um, I appreciate some, some folks who like my jokes, um, so it's good. Um, let me pray for us and we'll jump into the message. Father, thanks so much for your love and your grace. Um, we are so thankful that while we were lost in our sin, you rescued us. Um, Father, as we spend a few minutes in your word today, I pray that you would be our teacher. Encourage us. Teach us more about how to live the life of faith that you've laid out for us and what that really looks like um, in the midst of all that we go through. And, you know, Father, I recognize that as we come together this morning, many of us do with different things that are weighing on us. And, Father, I pray that in the midst of the challenges that we face, that we would learn to trust in you more and recognize um, how you are at work around us. Um, and so, Father, uh, again, I just pray that we wouldn't be distracted by anything that takes place around us, um, but, God, that we'd be able to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The life of faith, it is a lot more like calculus than it is algebra. So I know I need to explain that, so just hang with me, we'll get there. Um, as our kids have gotten older over the last few years, so Nathan is now, he's a freshman in high school, Caroline's in the fifth grade, um, but as they've gotten a little bit older, we've had to help them with their homework sometimes, and oftentimes the homework that we need to help with is math. I was uh, I don't know, relatively good, it's a humble brag, I was kind of okay at math growing up, um, but I have to be honest and tell you that the last math class that I ever took was my senior year of high school. When you're a Bible major in college, they don't care if you are good at math, so as long as you pass this test, they're like, hey, it's great, you don't ever have to take a math class again, so that was the last math class that I've taken, and so now that I've had to help our kids with their math, and most often it's, it's Nathan, um, with his math, I've had to reteach myself things that I haven't done since I was their age. 
And so I can, Nathan is now, he's been through algebra, he's in geometry this year. Caroline, in her math, she's actually doing a little bit of algebra. Um, and so I can remember what it was like the very first time doing an algebra problem when there were English letters in math problems. It just blows your mind because it used to be like numbers and now all of a sudden, where did these letters come from? What does that mean? Um, but it, like I said before, I was pretty good at math. And so it made a lot of sense to me once they explained it. Like you get an equation, there's one variable, solve for this variable, you move stuff around. Like it, it, it's pretty straightforward. I'm a logical thinker. And so it was really easy. And so oftentimes, especially in the beginning of algebra, I liked it because I found it easy and I could easily come up with a solution. It would be something like x equals 2. So you get x equals 2. And so as I've helped my kids with this, I'm always like, hey, go back and check your work. If you think x equals 2, put the 2 in where the x is and see if the equation works out. I may not have always gotten the answer right, but especially at the beginning of algebra, it was easy enough. I could check my work and see if I'd actually gotten the right answer or not. Calculus is not like algebra. It is far more complicated than that. There are multiple variables, and trying to come up with a solution is really hard because what you do is you learn these rules that you try to apply in the right situations that would lead you to a solution to the problem. And the solution to the problem, it's never two. It's like 2x to the power of 3 times the square root of some really weird number. You don't even know what that is anymore over y squared. You know what? It's like so complicated you don't even know. I mean, I can remember senior year of high school working on a problem on a test for like 30 minutes, like one single problem, 30 minutes, and honestly having no idea if I was doing anything right. And in fact, when it came to the test, we weren't actually graded on whether or not we got the right answer. Rarely did anybody get the right answer. We were graded on the process, our thought process that would, was leading us toward the solution, or how many steps in the process we got right. Really, about the only thing I remember about calculus at this point is that we learned how to calculate the area of a donut. Don't ask me how to calculate the area of a donut, because really what I remember is eating donuts while trying to learn how to calculate the area of a donut. So I always like that part when we get to eat donuts. So that's as far as my calculus goes at this point. I can still eat donuts, not calculate the area of a donut. But here's what I've learned throughout the course of my life. The life of faith is far more like calculus than it is algebra. We want it to be really simple with very few variables. And we work the problem, come up with a solution that x equals 2, but that is not the way life works. It is far more complicated than that. It's a lot more like calculus where you hope that you're applying the right rules at the right time, which leads you toward a right solution, but the reality is you're not really ever sure if you got there. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we continue our series in the life of Abraham. So we started a couple of weeks ago with God showing up in Abraham's life, calling him to leave his father's household to go to the land that God would show him. He gave him a promise of land, seed, and blessing. He said, I will bless you and make your name great, and then the world through you will be blessed. And so we looked at first week about how because of Abraham's obedience to the promise of God, he is a faith hero, but he is not a faith superhero. He didn't get everything right all the time. And so last week we looked at when Abraham went to Egypt in search of food. He lied about his relationship with his wife, Sarah, said that she was his sister rather than his wife, which was a complete failure of faith. But the incredible thing is that in the midst of that story, God was at work keeping his promise. In spite of Abraham's unfaith, God was faithful, and he was still at work keeping the promise that he had given. 
So today what we're going to look at is in Genesis chapter 13. We're really going to look at the entire chapter today. So if you do have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Genesis 13 if you don't have a Bible with you. Uh, when I read it here in a second, it's going to be on the screen. Or if you are a YouVersion Bible app user, you can navigate your way to our live event and follow along there. The scripture's there, our, our notes are there, lots of helpful things there. But I'm going to read this in just a second, and probably after the first reading, you're going to think, I don't get it. Why is this even in the Bible? This is the section where uh, Abraham separates, moves away from his nephew Lot. And so you're going to see it and be like, that just seems like everyday problems. There's not really any spiritual things happening. Like, what's the purpose of this? How do I take what's there and apply it to my life? But I think that this event helps us to understand some really profound things as we seek to live out our faith in the real world. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So let me read this section for us, Genesis chapter 13. I'm going to read all the way through the end of the chapter, so just hang in there, listen, and follow along. Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev, he, his wife, and all he had, and Lot with him. So Lot is Abraham's nephew. Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. He went by stages from the Negev to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had formerly been. So he goes to Egypt and now is coming back to where he originally was, to the site where he built an altar, and Abram called on the name of the Lord there. Now Lot, who was traveling with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together, for they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. And there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and Perizzites were living in the land. So Abraham said to Lot, please, let's not have quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, since we're relatives. Isn't the whole land before you? Separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. Lot looked out and saw the entire plain of the Jordan as far as Zor was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden, like the Garden of Eden in the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities in the plain and set up his tent near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord, which is kind of a foreshadow of something that's going to happen later. After Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, Look, from the place where you are, look north and south and east and west, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up and walk around the land through its length and width, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and went to live near the oaks of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. So what we see at the very beginning of this passage, Abraham had been in Egypt, and now he is moving back to the promised land. And at this point, because of the graciousness of God, not because of what Abraham did, but because of God's grace, Abraham has a lot of stuff. Stuff meaning animals and all that goes with the care of animals. Well, not only does Abraham or Abram have a lot of stuff, his nephew Lot, who had been with him the entire time, he has a lot of stuff too. Well, in addition to the stuff that Abraham had and Lot had, there are actually people who are living in the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, as it was referred to at the time. There are people living there too. And so now there is a competition of resources. Everybody can't go to the same place 
and have their animals eat the same grass all the time or go to the same watering hole and drink the same water all the time. And so there becomes a conflict. And so Abraham has to figure out what to do in this conflict. That's the situation that faced him. There's a really important observation I want to make about the life of faith. So often we think that the life of faith, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, then life will be free from conflict. But faith in the real world recognizes that life rarely is. We think, and if I'm living by faith, then my life will be free from conflict and will be easy. But the reality is living out a life of faith in the real world recognizes that life rarely is. Think about this event from Abraham's perspective. He recognizes in Egypt he messed up big time. And so he thinks, man, like, I know God was protecting me through that. Now, if I just get back to the promised land, this land that God had promised me, if I just get back to where this whole thing started, all of those problems will be behind us, and life will be wonderful. If we just get back to the promised land, I'll sit back and watch God work as he fulfills the promise that he gave to me. Like, life is going to be wonderful in the promised land. But then when they get back there, what's the first thing he has to deal with? There's a conflict. The herdsmen of Lot and Abraham are fighting, and I'm sure Abraham thought to himself, like, I don't get it. I thought if I got back here, if I thought I'm doing what God wants me to do, then life will be easy. What am I getting wrong? And as I'm thinking about this event through, from the perspective of Abraham, then all of a sudden I think, man, forget Abraham. I think about my own life, and I think, well, that's the way I think. Like, I want to think, well, if I'm doing what's right, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, then life should be easy but it rarely is. All of a sudden, there's a problem here at the church. Or maybe not enough people are showing up on Sunday morning, or we need people to serve, or we're behind in giving, and so I got to think, you know, how do I solve these problems? How do I motivate people to serve? How do do I, what do I do to motivate people to give? Or maybe it's just a really practical problem, like there's a plumbing leak somewhere, it's just like, man, like I got to deal with that now too. And then I go home. And I'm cutting the grass, and I run over a sprinkler head, and then all of a sudden, this thing that takes an hour is twice that long, because now I have to fix this. And all of a sudden, I begin to do something that I don't want to do, which is get angry. I don't know if you've ever watched A Christmas Story. It's my favorite Christmas movie. When the dad goes downstairs to fix the furnace, and you just hear, like, that's exactly what goes through my head. Like, literally. I censor my own cuss words, so I don't actually do that in my head. But it's the censored version that comes out. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, God, like, I don't understand this. I thought if I was doing what you want me to do, life should be easier than that. But it rarely is. When we think about the life of faith being like algebra, that's when we think, I mean, if I'm just doing what God wants me to do, then life will be easy. Because we want to live according to a simple formula where there's not many variables where we can figure things out. We would like to think that the life of faith is a simple equation. Like, if I do this, God does that, and my life will be easy. But the reality is that's not life. That's not the life of faith in the real world because the life of faith in the real world is rarely free from conflict. But when we're living like the life of faith looks like algebra, then when something bad does happen in our lives, the natural question is, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with my faith? And I want you to know, when something bad happens in your life, there is something wrong, but it may have nothing to do with your faith. Years ago, we had a a dear friend, really close friend, 
who had been diagnosed with breast cancer and had been undergoing treatment for, for several years. And she ended up actually passing away um, from, from that cancer. But on several different occasions, we talked about faith and faith related to her cancer. Because on more than one occasion, somebody, and I, I'm sure that they were very, mel- very well-meaning, they went to her and said, listen, if you just have faith, then God will heal you. Like, you just need to have faith. And here's the problem. When somebody tells you that and then healing doesn't come, the symptoms only get worse, the cancer only progresses, the natural question is, which this is what I had to deal with in a conversation with her, like, what's wrong with my faith? Or do I even have faith? And what I told her was, listen, I don't think your cancer has anything to do with your faith. You didn't get cancer because you didn't have faith. The reason you still have cancer and you're still struggling with cancer has nothing to do with your faith. The life of faith is far more complicated than that. But that's what we want, though. We want to think, man, like if I'm just doing what God wants me to do, then life is going to be easy. But faith in the real world recognizes that life is rarely free from conflict. The reason that we face conflict is because we are sinful people living in a fallen world. And so as a result of that, Stress, conflict, difficulty, it's just a regular part of our life experience. I mean, we're sinful people. So as a result of that, we create conflicts. Sometimes it can be a direct result of things that we do. Like, I did something wrong, which creates a problem that then needs to be solved. At other times, though, it may be really unintentional. It's not like you necessarily did something wrong that created the conflict or created the stress or whatever it is. It could be just a misunderstanding. I mean, think about the situation facing Abraham and Lot. It wasn't like they did something wrong that created the conflict. It just happened. It just was. Now, did Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen, did they handle the problem as well as they could have? Probably not, but still, it wasn't like they necessarily did something wrong to create the problem. It's just what we experience in life. No matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, this side of heaven, we will always be sinful people. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try. It doesn't mean we don't get better. But the reality is we will always be sinful people. And so because we are sinful people, we will always create conflicts. But it's not just the fact that we are sinful people. Sometimes it's just the fact that we live in a fallen world. So it's not that we're causing conflicts and problems all the time. Sometimes they just happen. It's a result of living in a fallen world. I will tell you, you don't get sick because you did something wrong. Unless you know it. But God's not going to cause you to get sick, and then you're left to wonder, am I doing something wrong? Like, if you get sick because you're doing something wrong, it will be obvious to you. You do not get cancer as a punishment from God. That is not the way that he works. But those things happen because we live in a fallen world. But some of you might be thinking, well, I mean, I get that. I understand that. But why doesn't, if God can do anything he wants and he is good, then why doesn't God keep bad things from happening to really good people? Which I think is a great question. I think it's one that we should wrestle through and try to come up with an answer to. But you know, the reality is all we know is all we know. All we see is all we see. And it's entirely possible that God regularly keeps bad things from happening to good people, but we don't know it. But we have to be really careful because oftentimes we think 
man, if I just am living a life of faith and I'm doing what God wants me to do, then life is free from conflict. But the reality is life in the, the life of faith in the real world recognizes that conflicts and problems are just a regular part of life. So the question is, what do we do when they come? So Abraham is faced with this conflict and it becomes clear that he wants to do the best that he can to solve this problem. And so he gets his nephew Lot and says, hey, we've got to do something about this. It's, it's clear we can't, there's not enough resources for our families to live in close contact with each other anymore. We, we've got to separate. So you choose what you want to do. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. But our, our relationship together, our family's relationship together, it's more important than land and resources. And there's another really important observation about the life of faith I want to show you. So often we think, man, if I'm living a life of faith, then God will tell me exactly what to do all the time. But the life of faith recognizes that God is at work behind the scenes. It's interesting. God does not tell Abraham what to do. He does not tell Abraham how to solve this conflict, to solve this problem. Now, we don't read that Abraham asked God and he didn't get a response. And so it's possible that if Abraham would have asked God what to do, then God would have told him exactly what to do. But I will tell you, I don't think that that would have been the case. Abraham is just left to decide what he thinks is best to do in this situation. But something incredible is taking place. Because God is at work behind the scenes. See, at this point, Abraham and Lot lived together in the promised land. As a result of the fact that they lived together in the promised land, then each of them could have claimed portions of the promised land. In other words, it was not all Abraham's at the time. And so in this situation, Abraham says, man, I think the best thing that I can do is give Lot the first choice. And so he says, Lot, you choose. You look, you decide what you want. You go one way, we'll go the other. And so Lot looks out, and he sees the land in the valley. There's better water there. The grass is better there. And so he chooses the land in the valley. And so Abraham goes the opposite way, and then God shows up. And did you notice what God said to Abraham? He said, look, turn around in every direction, because everything, as far as your eye can see, in every direction, this is yours forever. So what was happening, God was at work behind the scenes putting Abraham right smack dab in the middle of the promised land, exactly where God wanted Abraham to be so that he could fulfill the promise that he gave to Abraham. We do not see God at work, but we see the results of God at work saying, Abraham, you are exactly where I want you to be. So often we get the idea, man, if, I, if I'm living a life of faith, then God is going to tell me exactly what to do all the time. And God can tell you what to do sometimes. There may be times in your life where you get a, a, such a strong sense for what God wants you to do. It is as if God has told you what to do. But I really believe more often than not, that is not the case. Because the life of faith actually recognizes that God is at work behind the scenes. But have you ever thought about why we want God to tell us exactly what to do all the time? I think some of it is because of what we read in the Bible, these heroes of the faith stories. And we kind of create this uh, expectation where the, what is extraordinary becomes normal. Because we think 
man, like for Abraham, God's just showing up all the time, telling him exactly what to do. But the reality is, it was extraordinary in Abraham's life for God to show up. And we'll continue to see this over the next few weeks. Here's how God shows up in Abraham's life. He shows up and says, hey, leave your family, go to the land. He got there, God said, hey, you're here. Then it's years later, and God shows up and says, hey, remember the promise I gave you at the beginning? Still working on that. And then God doesn't say anything for years, and he shows up again and says, hey, Abraham, remember the promise that I gave you the first time? Still working on that. Not how you think I'm working on it, but still working on it. And so it's really a reiteration of the promise over and over again, not telling Abraham exactly what to do all the time. But we think what is extraordinary is normal, and so we want the exact same thing to happen in our lives too. Another reason I think we want God to tell us exactly what to do is because we're desperate for certainty. Like, I just want to know for sure, be certain that this is exactly what God wants me to do. Even if it leads me into something hard. Like, that's okay, because I know I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do. But that's not the way the life of faith works. God can tell us what to do, but the reality is He calls us to live by faith. And living by faith is being obedient to do what God has said we should do, even if we're not sure it's going to work itself out. And a lot of times I think we want that certainty because in the back of our mind, we're still thinking living a life of faith means that life is going to be easy. When we face something hard, then I must be doing something wrong. When that's not the case. God calls us to live by faith, trusting. So it's being obedient to to, to the promise of God, even though we're not sure it's going to work out. And living by faith, trusting that God is at work behind the scenes. So you might be thinking, well, if that's the case, if God doesn't, if my expectation should not be that God tells me exactly what to do all the time, how do I actually go about making decisions when I don't know what to do? We kind of talked about that a little bit last week, and so I want to touch on what we talked about last week, expound on it just a little bit more. Let me give you three things. When you find yourself in a situation where God does not tell you exactly what to do, how do you go about determining what to do? The very first thing, number one, ask for wisdom. James 1.3 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask, and God will give it to him freely. Now, i got to be really careful because James 1.3 does not say, if you don't know what to do, ask God, and he will tell you exactly what to do. It doesn't say that. It says, if you lack wisdom, ask, and he will give you wisdom. So in other words, you find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do. You say, God, I need wisdom. In this situation, God will give it freely. What is wisdom? It's the right application of knowledge and truth. So somehow, in the way that God works in our lives, when we don't know what to do, we ask God for wisdom, and he gives us the understanding to apply rightly the things that God has said so that we figure it out. So that's first. If you don't know what to do, ask for wisdom. Second thing, think through the grid of godly character. This is really what we talked about last week. Think not just what does God want me to do, but who does God want me to be. Think through the grid of godly character. I think that's what Abraham is doing in this passage. He's thinking, I want, I want this problem to be solved as easily as possible. And so he's thinking, how do I go about doing that? And he thinks, man, what I'm going to do, the best thing to do is give Lot first choice. He didn't have to do that. Abraham was Lot's uncle. So as the elder in the family, he could have gone to Lot and said, hey, there's a problem. Here's the solution. Like it or not, this is what we're going to do. But he didn't do that. Think through the grid of godly character. Matthew 7, 12, it's a golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
Philippians 2, the mind of Jesus. Think through the mind of Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the first few verses of Philippians 2 is about recognizing the needs of others and putting their needs first. Think through the grid of godly character. So when you find yourself in a situation, you don't know what to do, ask for wisdom. Trust that God's going to guide you in that. Think through the grid of godly character. Who does God want you to be? And then as you are doing that, trust that God is at work. And he will lead you to be exactly where he wants you to be and keep you from going where he doesn't want you to go. That's God at work behind the scene. We may never see the evidence of it. We may never see how God is at work, but we trust the fact that God is at work behind the scenes, putting us in the exact right place if there is an exact right place that he wants us to be. You know, the reality is we do. We, we desperately want life to be like algebra. A couple of variables, simple equation. At the end of the day, we know if we've gotten it right or not. But the reality is living a life of faith is far more like calculus. It's really complicated. And the truth is all we can do is try to apply the right rules at the right time. And we, as we're doing that, we trust that God is sovereignly in control of our lives and at work behind the scenes. We may not see how, but God is leading us, guiding us to be exactly where he wants us to be. And we have hope in the midst of that, that God is, in fact, going to fulfill his promise because God has said, the work that I started in you, I'm going to, begin, I'm going to take it to completion. And so one day we will experience life the way that it was meant to be as we experience life in his presence forever. But that's why the life of faith is far more like calculus than it is algebra. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in the midst of the challenges that we face in life, the difficulties that we go through, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. In the times that we go through things that we don't understand, Father, may we trust in you. Trust that you're at work in ways that we can't see. As we recognize that the, the, the difficulties, the challenges, the, the conflicts that we face in this life, it's, it is a part of our lives, this side of heaven. And I pray that you would guide us in how to solve those so that we can reflect who you are in all that we do. May we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who endured the cross. May we consider him who endured such suffering so that we, in the midst of the struggles that we go through, the things that we don't understand, so that we would not grow weary and lose heart. So, Father, continue to strengthen our faith as we seek to live out our faith in the real world, dealing with the challenges that we face here. May we know that you are good and that you will fulfill your promise. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.